Welcome to another inspiring sister's message. We hope you are blessed by this ministry. So Valentine's Day was on the 14th. That's when we celebrated our 48th wedding anniversary. And if I had time, I'd share with you how how silly this all is really, if you think about it, because we didn't actually celebrate Valentine's Day in South Africa in 1973, the way that it's done now. So we weren't that clever. It just worked out that way, but we absolutely love the novelty of that. Valentine's Day is a very interesting celebration, and most people don't know the origins of St. Valentine. I remember sharing this at Sisters many years ago and thought I would share it again tonight. So the story behind St. Valentine, he was a third century Roman priest at a time when there was an emperor called Claudius who persecuted the church. The emperor also had an edict that prohibited the marriage of young people. Uh, Can you imagine This was based on the hypothesis that unmarried soldiers fought better than married soldiers because married soldiers might be afraid of what might happen to them or their wives or families if they died. The idea of encouraging them to secretly marry within the Christian church was what Valentine was all about. Valentine was eventually caught, imprisoned and uh, tortured. And there are legends surrounding Valentine's actions while in prison. One of the men who was to judge him in line with the Roman law at the time was a man called Asterius, whose daughter was blind. Valentine is believed to have prayed with and healed the young girl uh, with such astonishing effect that Asterius himself became a Christian as a result. Valentine was sentenced to execution all because of his stand for Christian marriage. The story goes that the last words he wrote in a note to Asterius' daughter was from your Valentine. That coupled with the weddings he conducted is what inspired the celebration of love. It is essentially a Christian celebration of love and marriage. Quite beautiful when you just go into the history. So we want to talk tonight about keep love alive. And our first love, number one this evening, must be for God. Pastor Andre, what are your thoughts on that? Well, certainly if we're going to love people, we need to first love God because the Bible says love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So our first relationship is to have a love for God And that is our primary relationship from which all the others flow. Absolutely. And we find that in Mark chapter 12 from verse 30 to 31. It says, just just so that we can have the word here tonight, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And and I believe it's from a, a love and a pure devotion to God that we can love strongly and correctly in our marriages and, and we can then love 
our neighbor. You know, I have met believers who are believers and that's wonderful, but they're not necessarily lovers because the way you love God is the way you're going to love others because God is our ultimate Valentine. Amen? Mm. God is our ultimate Valentine. So how would we keep our love alive for God? What would you say? I think through reading the Word, spending time knowing what He wants, what He says, His love letter to us, as we always say, and through worship, worship and praise, in the same way that if you want to keep a relationship alive, you've got to know what the person needs and what their desires are and how to love them, and then praising them and speaking kindly to them. Yes, yes. I don't know if you girls remember um, how I always spoke about, you know, Jesus needs to be on the throne of our hearts and if we put our spouse or friends or our parents or other relationships that we have on the throne of our hearts, we we essentially removing Jesus from his rightful place. He's meant to be on the throne of our hearts. And what is beautiful about keeping love alive is to remind ourselves that he's got to be there. He's got to be the most important person we consider in any decision we make uh, and in anything that we're even about to say. Jesus is on the throne of my heart and he's going to hear what I have to say. Then the second thought tonight is marital love. We need to keep our marital love alive. And this is exclusive and intimate as God planned from the very, very beginning. I love the verse that we find in Matthew 19 because it just describes everything the way God wants it to be. And let's be honest, girls, we, we serve God. And so we want to do what He wants and what He has prepared for us um, uh, regarding relationships and purpose in our lives. So Matthew 19 verse 4 to 6 says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And I love what the King James Version says, Pastor Andre. What does it say? It says, Let no man separate. Amen. And it also says we must, the man must cleave. Cleave, they are. Must, the man must cleave, which speaks of intimacy. It speaks of a physical, sexual relationship. And I also find it interesting uh, that God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, a helpmeet, and a companion. But I think today's um, interpretation looks like this. I'm the queen. And um, he must buy what I want. And um, I don't have time for cooking and cleaning and nappies and shopping. Um, and this is not the picture of what God had in mind when he designed marriage. So how do we keep our marriage alive, would you say? I think that uh, your expectations when you go into a marriage are all important and uh, what you're looking for and what you're expecting and that's where people are disappointed and that's why love fades it's not kept alive mm. but I think in our marriage we've kept love alive by being partners 
but not having unreasonable expectations. Also, I think what happens with single people before they get married is they uh, are not mature enough. You've got to be a very mature individual before you get married because then you come in with, you know, uh, sound expectations. You, you you know what to expect. You know you know the truth about marriage. You, you're not living on a cloud. And um, 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about the fact that marriage is difficult. Paul says it's better to stay single because when you get married, you're worried about all sorts of things. You're worried about responsibilities and cares. And, and the single life is very different from that of a married life. So I think you keep love alive when you've got sound expectations and then you work together partnership and you and you go through the tough times um, don't expect it all be wonderful yeah amen amen I, you know I, I believe it's 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 as you said it's time spent and um, wives need to respect their husbands and husbands have the need to be respected God has wired them that way but he needs to love you as his wife, as Christ loved the church. It's not a one-way street. It's all just, um, you know, you showing respect and he's not showing you love. Both need to put in the work. Amen. We spoke yes. about that last last week, that there is work to be done. And um, here's a verse that I, I know this for a fact is not the most popular verse for wives or women in general, because I personally grappled with this myself, and I know the world, the state the world is in today, um, this is even a bigger issue. But, you know, this is really the, the foundation and of our marriage, and this is the foundation of, of any Christian marriage. And um, it's taken from Ephesians 5, 22 to 26, and it speaks to the wives. It says, wives, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Now, we've been taught by you that submission is to, to is to be under the mission that there's a foundation of there is a mission you're on a mission together as a couple there's a future for you you're going to walk your life out you're going to walk this journey out and the two of you on a, on a mission and as Christians the mission is to serve God and to love him with all our hearts mind soul and strength but it's not to be subservient, but it's to be under the mission. Yes, uh, I think division is 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 the, is the key thing for when love goes. If you want to keep love alive, there needs to be unity rather than division. And division comes when you've got two independent people trying to do their own thing, striving to each be the leader. Uh, when Paul says, "Your wives submit to your husband," he's not saying you don't have a brain, you're not intelligent, you have, uh, you know, you don't know what you what you're doing, and so you need a man. No, no, it's yeah. saying that you know anything that has two heads is is a is a freak is is a monster so for a marriage to have two heads someone's got to make the decisions there's got to be a partnership and and so that's how unity comes about that's how love stays alive but when there's a striving when there's friction when you each want to go your own way 
when there's when you're gonna you're gonna talk one another down, you're gonna battle. There's gonna be a battle of wits. Then division comes in, and love goes out the door. And you'll never keep love alive if there's disunity. That's why he says that he's not putting women down. He's putting them alongside in a particular role. A woman's meant to be a help meet. So you know, if you're going to marriage as a woman, you're going to help and support and and uh, work alongside. If you're immature, you will strive against that. Uh, if you go into marriage and you've got nothing to bring to it, you won't be a helpmeet. You'll just bring immaturity and strife. So it's a very, very important passage yeah. that no one wants to quote anymore because we're too afraid to speak of what a biblical marriage is. But he actually says before that, submit to one another. Yes, yes. So you yes. read the whole context. Yes, absolutely. And that doesn't mean the man occasionally says to his wife, you know what, you're right. You're actually right. This this is this is the better decision. Yes. Because yes. both have wisdom, yes. but only one can lead. Yeah. And I, I mean it's true to say that there's brokenness in all of us. And um, you know, there's 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 stubbornness, um, there's personality that 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 comes into play. And um, but if we want to do things God's way. This is the way to do it according to the word of God because we will just hit a brick wall in our relationship and um, we've done that several times over the 40, 48 years. But And I believe it's what a lot of uh, couples um, struggle with. I really do. But it's beautifully put in, in the way that I see this is like it's really for our protection because the husband is the head of the home because he is responsible. Yes. It's the responsibility that God has placed on him. And, you know, show me a man that's not carrying the responsibility in a marriage. And I will show you in my many years and your many years of, of counseling and um, of running church that that marriage will not last. And, and that is the struggle that people have, you know. It's basically in the Word of God and... Um, you know, it, it's it's for us to to understand the responsibility a man has on his shoulders, and that's why I referred to in the beginning when God spoke and he he created man first. Not that the woman is second and unimportant. We equal, but we are different, and we have different roles. But I love the fact that it says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a companion and a helper. And it seems like God's focus was pretty much on the man and on the husband as the one who's the the the, the bearer of, of responsibility and and all that the family, the wife and the children all could face. It all lands on on him. And that is why as a wife we we come alongside and we, we meet him halfway and we support him. And um, I know for instance right at the moment we are we are looking at um, doing things at home where I, I think we could be clashing and we're disagreeing on colours and you know, painting the wall this color and um, uh, no, I don't want to do that. But really we talk together and we reason together and then we come to an understanding of what is best and we keep the peace and we show love and respect. And the end result is the man has the say and I submit to his decision. I think the thing that we, we've got to be very cognizant of is when we talk about the roles of a man and a woman, biblical roles, it, it really was in an agricultural climate 
the woman really was not a, a um, an earner. She didn't bring in income. And today when both people work, sometimes the woman earns more than the man. The woman's more capable than the man. Both of them are out of the home all day long and then come back to the children. It's a very tricky thing. We know we've been in business together. We've run church together. We've both worked all our lives. That is where I think the strife comes in and where the love goes out. And that's why people can't keep love alive. It's because both are trying to... The woman's carrying huge responsibility. And no longer is it the man. He's carrying the responsibility and she's the supporter. It's there, there's, there's tension because I also work and I'm also tired and my feet are also sore yeah. and I also need a break from the kids. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that creep in and there no longer is a submission to one another. We get further and further away from the biblical role and further for, and further into human rights where we start wanting our rights and what, what I need and what makes yeah. me happy and what I deserve. Yeah. And so it's no longer a partnership. Yeah. Sadly, um, you know, we, we can't move away from the Word of God and um, the heart of God for what He had in mind for marriage. And, um, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that um, we all have to work hard at keeping harmony mm. in the home and a rhythm of how we do things and never forget that... Um, we are to respect our husbands, no matter if they earn less, no matter if they don't have the qualifications that we have, but we still need to respect him because that's what God has in mind for us to do for him. Mm. He needs that. Mm. He needs that to affirm him as a man and as a person with responsibility of his own. And then he needs to not turn around and also say to his wife, um, you're supposed to submit to me. You're supposed to submit to me as if it's something derogatory or something that is like you're a skivvy and you must bow and scrape to me. Actually, it works together. It works together because as a man has loved his wife so much as Christ is to give his life for the church, that is when the respect and the harmony the love and respect in harmony work together. I think it's, it's it, we've always used this in our premarital course. We've said that it's the role of the judge and the jury. Yes. The judge hears all the facts. Yes. He is in charge of the courtroom. If he bangs the gavel and says silence, everybody keeps quiet. However, the jury hears all the facts. They're exposed to all the details and the jury are able to make a decision, bring a verdict. And then the judge is able to act on that verdict. He, you know, the jury, the jury could say the person's guilty of murder. And the judge says, yes, thank you, jury. Thank you for your service. And then he says, but I'm going to release this man because I have found extenuating circumstances. You know, the whole courtroom doesn't go into a riot. They respect the fact that the jury has a role and the judge has a role. And in a marriage, unless you have that clarity, there will be constant friction, constant fighting. I wanted to raise this because I think this is something we constantly overlook. We forget about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is not something you practice at church. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness in the children's church, in the ushering department, in the sound department, in the worship team. It actually has its primary practice in the home. Mm. And I think people overlook that the Holy Spirit has a role to play in relationships between the Father and the Son. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps the Trinity in unity. And the Holy Spirit in a relationship understanding sound roles will keep love alive and the marriage won't be an enduring until Jesus comes. So respect from the husband, uh, um, um, sorry, respect from the wife, love from the husband 
and, um, and care and nurture, and then the fruit of the Spirit as the governing in the home. I think that's how love is kept alive. Beautiful. Thanks for the reminder. Uh, I think we will all be helped by understanding the judge and the jury working together in the role of marriage. And so um, I, on, on this topic of, of romantic love, I just want to end by saying don't take each other for granted mm. and, um, and have gratitude in your marriage. If there's one thing that we have in, in our lives as a couple is we're always grateful to God that mm. we have one another, we can lean on one another, um, we can be companions to one another, we can work together. And so let's not take each other for granted and count your blessings. And now I, I want to promote a resource that, um, that we do have in our resource center, but you can also purchase it online. And Pastor Dean and Yannette ministered from this book uh, last Sunday. It's it's the Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And basically what the book is about in a nutshell is that we have love tanks that needs to be filled. And it's 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 a very clever concept. And then there are five love languages. There's words of affirmation. There's acts of service. There's rec- receiving gifts. There's uh, quality time and physical touch. And uh, Gary Chapman calls it secrets to a lasting marriage. Now, uh, I know that this, well, this book is, was written many decades after we were married. And we learned that we, you know, we learned uh, what we both liked uh, about each other in the relationship and what we didn't like. And it's basically learning the secret of what makes the other person tick. And yes. so, uh, I, I, not what makes you tick. Not what makes you tick. So, for instance, like, Personally, I'm not, I've changed as well, and that you must also bear in mind. These these aspects of who you are will change as you mature. And there was a time in my life when I loved receiving gifts, and it's not as if I don't receive gifts, but I'm actually, what makes me, you know, tick is I love to give the gifts. And um, someone's love language is to receive the gifts. But we're actually very similar because we both love words of affirmation and we both love physical touch. Yeah, I think that's where couples go wrong and that's where uh, love is not kept alive, love dies, is because we tend to love a person in the way we want to be loved. So sometimes, you know, you keep giving gifts and keep giving gifts and keep bringing flowers, but the person doesn't want that. They actually want physical touch or their love language is, uh, is words of affirmation. So a conversation is much more valuable than bringing home a gift, putting it down, and then going to watch TV. So you've got to find out what your partner likes and then meet their need because that's their love tank, not yours. And when you do that, love is that's kept right. alive. And we've learned that over 48 Eight years. We still yeah. get it wrong. Yeah. But I think we pretty much know what each other need and we yes. try and supply that yeah. instead of supplying what you want and what you think is necessary. Yeah. So a very good book. Yeah, uh, and maybe there's like, um, you know, an understanding around some people who say they like to give gifts that they would like to receive. And I, I believe there's some truth in that because if you have received like something that's very practical as a gift uh, and you enjoy it so much, you want the, another person to be blessed by it. But sometimes, well, especially in a marriage, it would be better to to know that um, you are not buying 
something that is not needed um, uh, or that is not going to be enjoyed. So yeah, it's like it doesn't me. always make sense, but that's... Yeah, it's like me. I, I wouldn't mind if you bought me a new drill. If I'd lost my drill or my drill had burnt out and you bought me a drill for my birthday, I'd be like, great. You know, I can drill on the wall. I can use this. But then I think, oh, what can I get you? Pots and pans. But that's not the kind of thing you get for your <laughs> wife on her birthday. You get that because that's like an industrial... Yeah. It's part of the equipment of the kitchen. Yeah. You, you rather think of jewellery or perfumes or clothing or something that your wife likes. I think yeah. that's it's identifying that. It is, yeah. And it, it requires... A, it's a bit of a skill. I think that book would help a lot of people. I think the book will help. Mm. And I also think that another book that will help, and I think you must uh, promote this book Pastor Andre is yeah building strong building families. Building strong families. Yeah, I think you know everyone's got a family, but a strong family is is another matter, and there are biblical principles in this book for strong families, strong marriages, and obviously in a short time we're just having a chat, but there's so much that can be covered, and that I I do believe we've done a good job of the book. It's well set out. It was written as kind of like a marriage manual, and uh, it really covers a lot of ground as to how to keep your marriage strong. So that love doesn't die and that you just, you know, you're only married technically on paper. Yeah. And you can't get divorced because you, you just want to, you know, you want to honor God. But there's much, marriage needs to be alive and dynamic and happy and stimulating and fun. And you need to know how to do that. And and there's a lot of advice in the book on that. Beautiful. Available online on Amazon. Uh, you can load it on your phone or you can get it from our resource center. Beautiful. Now, thirdly tonight... What about singles? So I know you you found a fantastic quote by Dr. Miles Monroe. Would you like to read that to the ladies too? Yeah, we were just looking during the week at different things to, to talk about tonight. And uh, Miles Monroe says this. He says, true singleness is a sign of spiritual, emotional maturity when you can be alone and enjoy it. You're a self-confident and aware person. You're well-adjusted not needing other people's approval to feel okay about yourself. It means that you have your act together and are ready for a deeper relationship. You have discovered and accepted who you are and can now truly give and share yourself with others. You are ready to relate effectively. Beautiful. I think the key thing he's saying here, and maybe we should have introduced it by saying that, is in order to be ready for marriage, you should be a strong, mature single emotionally, physically, financially. Oh, not a half a person. Yeah, not a half a person looking for someone to complete you, but you should be mature. Uh, I just want to say this, if I can interject here. Yeah. The, the, the thing about marriage that, that is really difficult today is women get married, they're immature, they're not ready for marriage, then the marriage breaks up and then they're left stranded, broken emotionally, weak financially, and then their lives are really a, a, a complete misery. And you can be a Christian and live a miserable life. And uh, I remember reading about J.K. Rowling. She she was uh, married when she was quite young, had a little girl, and then her husband and her began to fight. And then eventually he kicked her out of his house, and she ended up dirt poor, no money, with a child, and she realized, man, and she she barely had money for food. And then you know obviously she got into her career and wrote a book in 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 different cafes and so on. And eventually the you know the Harry Potter series. Uh, sold 500 million copies today. She's wealthy beyond measure, famous beyond measure. But um, she realized how immature she was when she entered the marriage and her life could have been a living hell if it wasn't for her gift and her talent. So I do think women need to go into marriage uh, not needy, 
but ready to contribute. You know, if you, you can come into marriage as a help me, if you've got something to bring. And, uh, and not I want, I want, but I can give, I can Beautiful. give. Beautiful. And so you've got to be a whole single, a happy single, before you can be a happy married. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And in our case, we were teenagers when we got married, late teens, but there was brokenness and deep emotional needs on both sides. But the beauty is when Jesus came into the picture. Uh, I think we put him first all the we time. We put him first. We put him As we grew center, in him, we kept we him in the center. And we became whole and we mm. came and we went for help. We went for counsel. We went on marriage seminars. Yes, yes. We read books. Yes. We didn't just end up lucky to be married 48 no. years. No, we and if you've got the... married and you're in a, in a challenging marriage, the key is to get help is to go to Christian books, come and get counseling from the pastors, cross our campuses, to read Christian books on the topic and to really build yourself like building strong families. Yeah. You don't end up with a strong life or a strong marriage by accident. You've got to keep love alive by working at it. Yeah. But especially getting back to singles, you've got to prepare yeah. well. Yes. And as a single person, there's nothing wrong with you if you're single. Jesus was single, Paul was single. But if you're wanting to get married and you've got a desire to be with someone, yeah. work on yourself before you work on looking for someone. Because yeah. if yeah. you're strong, mature, and wise, you will make a very good partner. Very Financially, emotionally, spiritually, and socially. Those yeah. four areas, I yeah. think, are critical. And, and it's no different in the way we keep our love alive for God. It takes work. It's not just automatic that um, you wake up in the morning, you disregard Him, and you don't you don't welcome him into your day and into your plans that you have for the day. It's the same with marriage and it's the same with singles that are wanting to go into a relationship. So I also just wanted to mention, um, I want to give a shout out to a single women's connect group um, that contacted me. They, they uh, met on Zoom on Valentine's Day to encourage one another. And, um, you know, I'm trusting that more ladies will be doing that during lockdown and during this period because we've always said we are better together. We need one another. Just make sure we know you are running a group so mm. we can give you the, the, the best input that you may need to help you. And uh, please register if you have a group. We'd love to know about you and we'd love to celebrate you. Now, I read about a woman who wrote on a blog about her struggle with singleness and and I think many women will resonate with her she wrote when I date I get praised for being beautiful I get a lot of attention and I feel wanted most importantly I don't feel alone but I'm angry with God because most of my young adult life I have been extremely obedient to him I've walked carefully in obedience to him in depth study and all day to night meditation upon his word. I'm angry because I feel as though I've done everything he has required of me, but somehow I'm not fit to be married. So maybe you feel the same way. I, I need to say, and I, I shared this with, with you, and, and we both asked each other if we've ever been angry with God. And um, I have a bit of a struggle with this, um, anyone being angry with God, because I've never been angry with God. I've lost a grandson who drowned at the age of three, and we've been through stuff. We've been through so much. But the kind of relationship um, 
we need to have with the God of the universe cannot be one of indulgence and just things must work out the way we want them. And uh, especially with relationships, he leaves that to us. I think we can sometimes feel entitled and almost feel like we deserve a partner and she almost you know, cites all her good works and how good she's been serving the Lord. I think what, what really she's trying to express is probably disappointment. Yes. with God. And Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God, which is a very helpful book because oh. you, you feel God should have done certain things for you, but you can become disappointed with him. Mm. If you're not careful, then your love for God mm. will go. So to keep mm. love alive with God, you better make sure you're not living in constant frustration, entitlement and disappointment. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to, you've got to deal with the fact that maybe, you know, it's not, maybe, you, maybe you're not ready. Maybe you have, maybe you've not been wise in the relationship. Yeah. It's not just a case of finding someone in your church who connects and clicks with you, but it's also being the right person. Yes. And there's timing, there's, there's circumstances. I think in lockdown, it's even harder. Yeah. Um, dating online, you see pictures, the best is presented. And then when you meet the person, you're disappointed. Yeah. There are a lot of factors in a successful relationship. Yes. And bear in mind, the marriages that the Bible often talks about are the Middle East model where, you, where they were arranged. So there wasn't romance first. There was first commitment, loyalty, and covenant. Then out of it, possibility, the possibility of romance. We now are looking for the spark, the romance, all that sort of stuff. And then we still want to have a sustaining marriage. Yes. So we're actually looking for a lot. Yes. Almost looking for the impossible sometimes. And if you're a single person, I would encourage you not to feel angry at God, disappointed with God, but to trust him and to continue to serve him and to leave your life and times in his hands. There's not one, one man for one woman. And so if you meet someone and it doesn't work out, and keep on. The best relationships, we always say, are between two friends. And so if you're single tonight and you say, well, you know, you're talking about keeping it alive. I wish I even had love in my life, let alone keep love alive. Well, trust God, keep looking, keep building friendships, and out of there should come the spark of romance and yeah. partnership. And two are better than one. Totally. I, I do totally. believe even if you're a whole single, you, if you're not celibate, two are definitely better than one. They get a great return for their work. Very good. And I, I, I trust that, you know, we are helping you tonight. And, you know, I, I've taught the girls for many years to be to be bold and to be brave and, you know, to remember to put on your armor. And, um, you know, that has its merit and that has its place. It, it, it doesn't come into play when we are after a guy in church and we might be pushing it a bit hard or we're chasing after someone that we that we like, you know. That's not God's way. It really isn't. I, I, I say this, yes, pray, absolutely. But this is how you can ask God in your prayer about a husband. Not, Lord, give me a man or give me a husband. And ask God for you to be found by a godly brother in Christ. Mm. Because... Here's the reality. We were found by God. He found us and he made something of our lives and brought meaning and relationship with him. You, you understand. And sometimes there is a little bit of a help from the friends, uh, but leave it in God's hands. Because in Proverbs 18, 22, it says, The man who finds a wife finds a good thing. She is a blessing to him from the Lord. And so while you wait to be found don't hibernate in normal times. I know we're all hibernating. We're in lockdown at the moment. But be out there. Join Zoom meetings if you're a young adult. Do, do what 
um, what you can to be part of being a visible person. Um, you know, be at work. Um, be a productive person. I think of Ruth. You know, Ruth was found by Boaz. How was she found? She didn't sit at home moping and, you know, uh, being a miserable person. She was a vigorously hard-working woman. She went out and that's how she was spotted by her Boaz. Mm. So I trust that I'm helping you tonight. A few thoughts about singleness that I, that I did a bit of research on. And uh, the first thought is singleness can be a very lonely time. Uh, I say that because I think most people would say, no, it is a very lonely time. It's not that it can be. But um, it's true that many Christian singles feel lonely, but not everybody, not all. Some believe the blessings and opportunities that singleness brings is to be effective in their call as missionaries or, or traveling for work. Which brings me to the second thought. Singleness provides great gospel opportunities. Um, singleness can be painful, but it doesn't have to be joyless. Um, whether it is overseas missions, uh, serving the church, or more time for evangelism, singleness offers a lot of advantages that married people don't have. So mm. if you find yourself in that place and you actually have joy in your singleness, don't let anyone make you feel that there's something wrong with you. Don't waste this time. There's so many decades that we live and um, you can find yourself doing something quite amazing for the kingdom of God and find your fulfillment in there. And maybe marriage will come later. And then thirdly, both single guys and single girls um, battle with sexual temptation. And that is why I have a third book that I want to promote tonight, Every Young Woman's Battle uh, by Shannon Etheridge and Stephen Arterburn. And we get one for the men as well. And, and basically it, what, what it says in this book, it says the world you live in promotes sex as the answer to just about everything. The pressure to go along with a crowd is greater than ever before. And it's easy to compromise in little ways that are a lot more harmful than what they seem. You and your friends may become caught up in a destructive uh, relationship or sexual activities without even knowing how you got there. Whether you have so far protected yourself emotionally and sexually, feel that you've been robbed of your purity or have given into temptation in some way, this book can help you achieve or reclaim sexual integrity it can also guide you through the temptations and pressures of young adulthood while demonstrating how you can live your life to the fullest without regrets. Very good, because that's a real issue. You've got a desire, you've got a system, a biological, uh, you've got hormones, you're wanting to have sex, but you can't find someone to share your life with. So now you do what everyone else does, sex in the city. You watch all the programs on TV, someone goes out to a meal, next month they're tearing their clothes off. We've got to learn to live God's way. Because ultimately, the way the world's living is it isn't working. Marriages aren't lasting. In fact, relationships aren't lasting. And we view rec uh, sex as just some recreation when actually it's a deeper spiritual bond between two people. I, I, I notice in the movies lately when I've been watching, you know, they say, oh, well, sex is nothing, you know. Uh, Christians make a big thing. But it's funny when, when one person hears that another person has been unfaithful. 
when they're dating, oh, you slept with her, and, and, and suddenly it becomes a big issue. Yet they say sex is nothing. So we constantly live in contradiction. We need to realize God's, God's way is actually the best way. And you need to know how to deal with it. And I think this book is an excellent resource. We could spend a whole evening talking about that alone. But every young man has a battle. Every young woman has a battle. And when you face it honestly and you deal with your singleness and you do some research and you study scripture, you equip yourself to be a good single and to prepare yourself for marriage. Absolutely, absolutely. And and speaking on the topic of books, um I've got a book here by Michelle McKinney-Hammond, How to Avoid the 10 Mistakes Single Women Make. We, we do have this in the Resource Center, but we've got three of these that we are going to give away uh, for some very blessed ladies in the house that was chosen for you to receive. And um, we'll contact you. And so trust that that will be of some help to you. I just want to share a few quick thoughts as we come to a close this evening for singles. You may be lonely at times, but you are never alone. Absolutely. And never never forget, not only is, do we have the Father who goes with us and before us, but we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who's known as the Comforter. So lean on the comfort of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life because actually you're not alone. You have the third person of the Godhead living in you if you're a believer. And we don't often avail ourselves of the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Yes, amen. Amen. And the Lord also says, never will I leave you, never will I I forsake you. you. And then secondly, you are not unattractive. You're, You're not unattractive. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 verse 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, so, you know, we, 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 we may feel unattractive at times and we may feel, well, there must be something wrong with me. That is why I'm single. Well, according to God, you are beautifully and fearfully made in His image. And I just want to encourage you with that. And then thirdly, you are not unwanted. You are not unwanted. Remember a few years ago in 2018, we did a whole year of belong, you belong. And in Isaiah 43 verse 1, it says, But now the Lord who created you, Israel, that's all of us, that's the church, don't be afraid for I've ransomed you, I've called you by name, you are mine. Beautiful. Amen. And so as we come to a close this evening, keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? Keep God at the center of your life, of your marriage, even your business, of your family. That's keeping the main thing, the main thing. As a single, you have God and that is the majority. Amen. So whether you're married or whether you are single, keep God alive because you will then keep love alive for God and for people. Amen. Mm. And so I just want to remind you, Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, a husband who loves God and who will adore you, all these things that you need, a home where you will be safe, where you can have your children, uh, a car that will be uh, reliable, that will get you to and from work. And when you come back to church, you'll be uh, able to get here and back. And uh, all these things will be given to you as well if you seek first the kingdom of God. 
Well, I trust you will help tonight, God's gorgeous girls, and that you feel that there is something that God has for you in your future that's fantastic. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Andre to wrap up the evening for us. Well, I hope you've enjoyed tonight and you've received some benefit from it. I want to take an opportunity to pray with ladies tonight who feel that their relationship with God is not quite where it should be. And as we pray together, you can restore your relationship. You can ask God to give you a refreshing, a revival. But if you don't know Jesus tonight, you can invite him into your life so that you can have the comforter in your life guiding you. You can have the word of God that comes alive in your life. It's not just a book of philosophy, but it comes alive by the Holy Spirit. But you need to be born again. So if you'd like Jesus to come into your life or you'd like God to revive you tonight, won't you join me in prayer? as I lead you this evening. Let's pray together and just pray along with me on screen. Father, I come to you tonight in the name of Jesus, your son, my savior. I ask you to revive me, restore me and renew me and to come into my life because I don't know you. Fill me with your presence and your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for my sins and make me a child of God. I heal to your will and I ask you to lead me and guide me. I give you my life now fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed and inspired by this ministry.